At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. All right, welcome everybody. This is Doug Crow, your humble and arrogant host. It can't both those things. It's one of those things um, for our live stream today. And this live stream is very, very near and dear to my heart because I don't have to memorize anybody's bio because it's the same guy. He just has his, his uh, twins here. Welcome to our show, the two guests. We have Jeff Sandridge and Jeff Amarain. Amarain, you were close. Good enough. Amarain. Amarain. What nationality is well, that? Well, well, listen. It's it's actually it actually stands for Amrhein, and it, and the people were not real smart a couple hundred years ago. There are people that live near the Rhine River, Germany and Switzerland. So Amrhein, but but my my wife likes Amarine. She thinks it sounds cooler and more exotic. Amarine, uh, yeah. And, and, and then when I try to call you from my uh, from my voice command in my truck, uh, I have to I have to say it like that in order for it to yeah. actually call you. Yeah, El Jefe Amarine sounds like I should be running a you know a drug cartel somewhere somewhere. Yeah, no, I I watched um Inglorious Bastards again the other day. I love the Italian after there. Arriva Derci, right? So we have Jeff Amarine. Works. Very good. But we're not here to talk about movies or your beautiful last name. I want to talk about something very important, which is your amazing upcoming book. Actually, it's launching today. Um, and before we get into your book and all the benefits, I want to hear about 30 seconds a minute about you two guys. So go ahead and tell the audience about yourself. Yeah. So, so I'm a serial entrepreneur by affliction, I guess. You know, uh, nine tech startups over a long career, three Fortune 500s, some time at university tech commercialization, and the last 13 years running the Startup Junkie Enterprise, which is an entrepreneurial support organization. Also an active investor, but but a lot of life experience, some people would say it's a clear case of undiagnosed attention deficit, but there you have it. That's me. All right. And, and Dan, uh, I've known you a bunch of books here. Yeah. So I come to the world of entrepreneurship and innovation from the world of, of what I call entrepreneurship and, and in change, being a change agent. So I worked in the same corporate organization for almost 20 years, uh, was hired there as a, as a change agent consultant, uh, got into uh, entrepreneurship, which, you know, is defined effectively as doing entrepreneurial things, but with the safety net of a corporate salary. Uh, mostly what I was risking was my reputation. Right. And uh, uh, and so I had the opportunity to start and, and acquire and lead companies uh, on five continents, uh, uh, 20, 21 different company acquisitions in Europe, uh, started a, a ground up operation in, in Gdansk, Poland, started a ground up operation in Nantong, China, and then acquired uh, a multi-location operation in uh, the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, Dubai, and then in uh, 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 Porto Alegre in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And so yeah. uh, about four years ago, almost four and a half years ago, uh, well, even before that, started co-investing with Jeff Amarine uh, through a couple of different funds and uh, that that uh, a fund he had, a fund I had, and some other funds. And then about four and a half years ago, uh, retired from my corporate gig and uh, launched effectively uh, another uh, division of Startup Junkie Consulting, which Jeff leads and has for, for 13 or so years. I started The Conductor, uh, which is same team, same organization, just in a, a location about two hours away. Wow. Okay. So, folks, you want to pay attention because if anyone needs to find out about starting up an operation or maybe M&A work, want to buy something or sell something, these are the guys to listen to. So, 
I want to talk to you today about your new book. You anybody have a copy of it there? You got hand, hand, you got one? Sure yep. Show them a picture of that. Look at that. We both have one. Look at that. Creating startup junkies. So you guys are basically drug dealers for startups. <laughs> you want to create more junkies yeah. to starting thing. What about yeah. finishing? Well, yeah, finishing is important too. But but yeah, it's it uh, every, every, anything good starts with that creative spark that that gets something off the ground. So and, and that's where we spend. Go ahead, Jeff. I was just going to say that's where we spend our time today is uh, inspiring, inspiring and empowering uh, entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs, innovators, and and uh, makers to right. to to really foster that creative spark and help them start uh, their companies and help them scale their companies. Right. Um, you know, I had some I had some friends in, in the west in the left coast, you know, in the Silicon yeah. Valley, and uh, I was really intrigued. I mean, Jeff first told me, well, Jeff, I didn't say Jeff won. When Jeff went first time about your title, about being, you know, startups in um, was it uncommon places, unexpected places, uh, unexpected, yeah. places unexpected places. Yeah, I'm like, yes, we definitely need that because my my friend that was over in the on the left coast in the Silicon Valley for um, those two decades, it it basically um, they basically destroyed his soul. You know, he was like actually trying to do the good things for good people. It's like, no, it's about who you know and who you can screw. So um, I'm very interested to know about your You've got like a Midwestern slant, a twang here, Jeff. Jeff Juan. Jeff, I'm Marine. Where are you from? <laughs> I was I was actually a military dependent, military brat, so all over the place. I've lived all over all the right. country and the world. So you're not going to pick up as much uh, Ozarkian <laughs> from me, but if you need uh -huh. me to turn that on, I can. No, no, it's good. We got we got standards for that. Like you can put on an accent, you want, you know. <laughs> Well, what about this, this different places? I, I made fun of the Silicon Valley. What about you guys? You obviously all over the place. What's what's the essence of the book Dark Junkies, and how does it apply to being not in Silicon Valley? I guess. Well, well, the whole the whole idea behind that is it's possible to to build incredible new companies not in the places that we all associate with the startup scene. So not in Silicon Valley, not in New York, not in Boston. And, and how is it possible? Well, it's possible because we proved it over the course of the last 13 years that it was possible. And there's some there's some unique elements uh, from people in the center of the country that have really strong work ethic that are that are kind of steeped in fundamental economics of treating their customers right and understanding how to build a successful business. And we kind of captured that. And part of the reason why we did was because it's a very strong a play for economic development. If you can build something locally, rather than recruit something in, it's going to stick, and there's going to be economic vitality that will follow. This this all makes total sense. From, the, from everything you said is logical. You can't argue with it. it. Makes total sense. And my guess, and if I'm wrong, please tell me, is that like a lot of the startup money doesn't see this. They just go to the, the shiny objects out west or out east, right? Historically, I mean, density yeah. does matter, but you're right. Historically, it's been on either coast. Well, and, and it's one of the reasons that Jeff and I also uh, uh, started Cadron Capital Partners and some of the other investment we've done. There are bargains to be had here as well. Yeah, the density yeah. of money is going to the coast, but the valuations are going with it, right? And, and yeah. uh, you know, we, we think that there's some really good opportunities here and, and have invested in some good opportunities here in the in the heartland, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Okay. So take, take a, a down uh, a, uh, an example of one startup that would be, you know, Un, you know, un, unexpected or slightly surprising and people go, wow, I want to find out more about that. 
Well, Walmart's a good one, right? Yeah, I got you. I got you. There's there's so many that we could talk about, but I'll give you one example that's kind of top of mind that's based here. Uh, and it's kind of a cool story because it fits in with agriculture and farming and all that. Acre Trader. Acre Trader mm -hmm. is a platform started by a guy that was from Arkansas that also ran a billion dollar fund on the West Coast. He came back here and he said, you know what? People have been buying and selling productive farmland the same way probably since the founding fathers. Why can't we make that an asset class where you can fractionalize it like a condo and people can buy a fraction of a productive farm and get both operating revenue and capital appreciation associated with it? So he's built this platform called AcreTrader based right here in Fayetteville, Arkansas, that's really disrupting that asset class. That's one example. Okay, hold on. So I want to want I don't want to know more about this. Is the are the is the land like privately held small farms or the big ones or who's who's it, putting their, who's it, okay. their land it, out here? It's it's typically pretty good sized farms, and yeah. so what they'll do is they'll that maybe maybe it's a family owned farm or maybe it's a corporate owned farm, but they want to bring some additional liquidity to what they're doing, so they'll sell a portion of the interest, or they might sell the whole thing outright. But yeah, these are productive farms. Some of them have wind farms on them, in addition to row crops almond tree farms in California. I mean, it's everything that you can imagine. And a lot of times, if you were to go to Southeast Arkansas, there's one guy for 50 years that is the guy you got to go to if you want to buy or sell anything in a particular area. Now there's a platform where people from all over the country, if they want to have Mississippi Delta farm interests, they could do it easily and simply. So that's an example of, of one that's local. And if they want to do it with a $10,000 investment or a, or a uh, $100,000 investment, they have that platform by which to do that. Wow, are, are they are they are they easy? You said the segmented, so you could buy if somebody come someone set up their own individual group of like I want some almonds, some cotton, some wind, and put it together, or is it just shares of anything? You, you buy it per per transaction. So it, it, when you're on when you're one of their investors or one of their interested investors, and they find a new piece of ground, they will create an LLC and do a raise for that particular investment. All right, and so um, and they and, and I think my idea just now is really good one because. If we have like you know a drought somewhere, but you if you pull if you pull together, you know thousand shares in, in different different crops, you could mitigate your you know danger, right? Yeah, right. yeah. Just a thought. So and that's one we need to share there, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's just one example. I mean, there's plenty of them like that. I mean, another one that's grown up in this area that has been really instrumental instrumental in in making sure that banks are ready for the CARES Act and the PPP is a company called Teslar, not to be confused with Tesla, Teslar, and it's like a banking ERP software company. They've been around for a little while. They're, right. they're a world-class FinTech company, financial technology company right here in Arkansas. And the guy that leads it grew up in banking, but he also has a degree in computer science and computer engineering. And so he's got kind of a unique advantage for addressing th those sorts of solutions that really make banks more productive. Bankers Choice Award in 2019 uh, for, for the Community Bank Association and Finnovate Award, uh, Financial Innovation Award for 2020. Uh, scrappy entrepreneur, companies growing uh, 80 to 90 percent per year. And um, I, I spend quite a bit of time with the entrepreneur there. They're, they're doing they're doing great work. Huh. OK. And just just give me a little more detail. I'm just curious about was it just as online bank or what is it? What do they do? No, they, what they've done basically is they've assessed the the core systems, the two or three core systems that most banks use, 
and they found the gaps in capability and automated those gaps and positioned themselves as a bolt-on to those to those three um, core systems. Okay. So you've got you've got, for instance, um, uh, uh, global cash flow or or construction loan uh, uh, draws that loan officers are still doing on a spreadsheet or a back of a napkin, right? And so they've yeah. automated those processes and and integrated them with the core systems as well. So Teslar, T E S L A R software. All right, check it out, folks. Could be a good one. Those are two right, examples cool. of a thousand that we deal with a year. I mean, we, we mm -hmm. the interaction that that our organization has is we probably have a thousand client engagement meetings, one-on-one -on -one mentoring meetings every year. Mm -hmm. We could talk mm -hmm. for hours and hours of the businesses that are growing up or that have moved here right. that we're helping grow uh, that that are across the spectrum. We've got companies that are dealing with high temperature, high power electronics stuff that's going out into mm -hmm. space. We've got kind of basic uh, mom and pop restaurants and everything in between. It's very vibrant, small business and startup scene. So tell me more about how this relates to the book now, the book is titled Creating Startup Junkies. Are you, are you is, this a, is this a how to manual, how to how to become a junkie for startups or how to get involved with funds or what? In, well, yes and. I mean, it's it's kind of a, a model that's a book that's intended to give both the inspiration and the toolkit that if you're in a chamber of commerce or if you're in a uh, institutional higher learning or if you're a city mayor, or if you're in anything associated with economic development, or you're a successful entrepreneur, and you want to create something that's vibrant, that is going to be lots of new business starts, this is a template for how to do it. And it's four fundamental pillars we talk about. Talent, uh, creating and, and securing capital, entrepreneurial culture, and then community engagement. The whole premise is, how do you assess where you are on those four pillars? And then how do you take action to move that entrepreneurial ecosystem forward. Hmm. So if you take a look at the two examples that we represent, 13 years ago, Jeff started this in the Northwest Arkansas area, 20 or 30 miles removed from the Walmart headquarters there in Fayetteville and created Startup Junkies, Startup Junkie. And then uh, uh, about seven or eight years later, we took that model. So so the, the metro area where, where Jeff Amaran and his original team are, it's, it's the second metro area of the state. The first being obviously the Little Rock uh, capital city metro area and then of course the the northwest arkansas metro area um, we took that model and using the assessment mechanism that we've created in the book called the venture ecosystem building canvas jeff and his team uh, uh partnered with the university and did a seven or eight month assessment uh, of of our area what what are the assets that we have what are the talent assets what are the human uh, capital assets what are the uh, financial assets what are the technology assets yeah. and then we took that model and created the conductor which is kind of a a, a right-sized clone relative to our assets and launched mm -hmm. it in 2016 in a community of 65,000 right so yeah. uh, so we now have two examples and 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 increasingly we're being uh, called on to communicate and, and consult with other communities uh, that are looking to try to do the same thing. So if, if I'm a, uh, uh, a chamber of commerce or a business development person in uh, Detroit, I might want to buy your book. Of course. Absolutely. Or, or if you're, if you're in, you know, the upper peninsula in Michigan in a place that's got 75,000 people and you want to yeah. figure out, could we do something like that here? You, mm -hmm. you can. And, and that's what we've, you know, that's kind of what we've proven. Our, our model is very much like if you were to take 
a McKinsey consulting operation and combine it with an event management company and say, the point is we want to have lots of new starts. We want to have vibrance. We want to have a greater survival rate of early stage business. We provide that kind of template. And as an entrepreneurial support organization, the business model is unique in that we're third party funded. We don't charge our clients anything. What? The startups, not a cent. We're funded by the federal government, the state government, uh, foundations, universities. And the reason why is because there's measurable outputs and outcomes that show that economic vitality in terms of new ventures, jobs created, uh, patents created, all the kind of stuff you would typically measure can happen if you use this kind of model. Wow. And, and, and entrepreneurs, you know, below about $10 million in annualized revenue generally yeah. don't have uh, no. the, the capital to spend on $500 an hour consultants. Right. And right, so, right. Um, so we, we find those institutions, organizations, uh, NGOs, and others who have a who have a vested interest in in uh, fostering and, and and nurturing economic development and new cre new starts and new creations, or mm -hmm. the commercialization of technology, and partner with them to fund uh, these experienced consultants who can then come in and, and sit down and provide coaching, consulting, mentoring, technical assistance, training, etc., uh, for these entrepreneurs and aspiring entrepreneurs and inventors. Mm -hmm. All right, so you guys in Arkansas, where's the next hot place? Where should where should people go if they're gonna move? Arkansas. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a good place. You know, there's lots of good places in the in the the center of the U.S. The the thing that's pretty attractive about where we are in Arkansas is it's a affordable cost of living, great quality of life, a lot of outdoor amenities, increasing uh, cultural scene, and so you can just live a great life here and have a lot of the metropolitan amenities that you would typically associate with a bigger place and also be five minutes from world-class soft surface trail for your mountain bike. Yeah, so, and there's lots of places like that in the center of the U S and people are, are nice and welcoming. Yeah, not a lot of, not, not a lot of sharp elbows and, you know, cutthroat. Yeah. Uh, yeah I've, down seen, here. I've seen, I've seen just fake, uh, fake posts on Instagram with all the bike stuff on there. So I get it, so. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can look at mine, Jeff. I, I rode the same trail in Charleston for about eight months during COVID. I'm like, oh my god, I'm so bored of this trail. You know, I look new. and I put my put my bike into like the mountain trail area. But you know, Charleston's a swamp, right? So it's all right. I hate right. it. I mean, actual mountains. Yeah. So. I, I'm scared of mountain biking. I'm afraid I'd kill myself. So I do road and gravel. So that's much better. Much better. All right. So uh, other than going to Arkansas, which maybe some people are appeal to them, maybe not. Let's talk about the right now situation, 2021 now with the, you know, the remote world that we live in. Is there a new blueprint or an adjustment to the blueprint of creating these ecosystems with a remote world? I actually think it's a, it's a yes and scenario. So, so, as, as, so as an example, there's plenty of places that have said, you can keep your ties to whatever operation you're involved with in Silicon Valley or New York. But live in, you know, live 30 minutes from Moab in Utah or or, uh, or or live in a, you know, a nice college town somewhere or the Canadians have got it right there. Really advocating for Nova Scotia, beautiful area up there, Cape Breton and, and the yeah. main of Nova Scotia, very remote, not that heavily populated, nice amenities. So the digital world and high speed broadband access have democratized everything that we do to where if you're, if you're in a, a high skilled, high tech type of job, you can be anywhere. Now for places like us, we want it to be yes and. Sure, keep your ties to those major metros, come here and do some things, but while you're here, build something interesting as well. 
beyond that. So the idea of being a bedroom community is dead. Everywhere is a bedroom community and a remote work community at this point. Right. Well, and and and, and it does also uh, uh, issue a compelling call to action for communities like mine. Is that mm -hmm. yes, we could we could capture uh, some of those folks who are looking to live in a higher quality of place location, uh, but we could also lose the ones we have if we don't ensure that we are focused on quality of place, right? Uh, that we're building those amenities, that we're building those outdoor opportunities, that we're creating a cool entrepreneurial look and feel downtown culture, you know, et cetera. Yeah. What's the biggest um, challenge you guys have seen when people take a look at this this formula, this blueprint? What's what are they saying that's going is hold them back from doing it? Let me let me take a stab at that, Jeff, and I'd love to hear your thoughts. I, I will tell you, uh, any group that I speak with about uh, about doing what we've done in unexpected places is there are really two things convene a group of committed change agents and get them all to, 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 to achieve consensus on what is needed as the first starting point. And don't start with a building um, or, or start where you are is what I usually say. And what I have found is in some communities, you've got some people who believe you need a cool co-working space and other people believe you need entrepreneurial programming and other people believe you need a maker capability. And, and so, you know, start where you are, get a group of committed change agents together, uh, uh, gain consensus and then build a plan to start working from there. If you start with a building, um, then you, what I have seen is you spend 80% of your time trying to fundraise to keep the lights on and 20% of your time doing what you actually set out to do, which is inspire and empower entrepreneurs. Yeah. You get that coalition of the willing, willing and you build community through a regular cadence of events and activities. And, and as they coalesce, then it, you'll know when it's the right time to put infrastructure in place, a building. Mm -hmm. Running events and that sort of stuff, particularly today, a lot of them can be virtual. That's yeah. cheap in comparison to millions of dollars on a building. The other challenge right. is you have to have somebody that is going to be a key champion or leader to run the organization. You can't kind of parachute in where it's like, well, here are the consultants with the briefcases and the nice suits and they're going to do it. You, you got to take our template, and then there has to be somebody there that's gonna that's gonna be the key person to lead it. So, for example, we wouldn't have been successful in moving from Northwest Arkansas to Conway if it hadn't been for Jeff Stanrich. He had all the connections. He was well respected. He was the right guy to build the base of activity around. That's really important as well. All right. So you got to find your linchpin. Your, your exactly. main person there. Okay. All right. If you if you what if you're a uh, if I'm talking about a young entrepreneur, someone just get started out, you know, has this much, you know, networking uh, established, whatnot. What, where would they start? What's the first thing they should do? I, I would say they need to make sure if, if they're wanting to start a company, uh, I would tell them what we tell all of our entrepreneurs is they need to make sure that the company they're going they're going to start uh, uh, has a product or a service that fits the market, that there is a market need and people are willing to pay for the problem that they're trying to solve. You know, 35, 40% of all new startups and, and, and subsequently all new products fail because there not enough people are willing to buy the product or the service at a price point required to create a profitable ongoing concern. So they're, they're not solving a big enough problem. So we have our entrepreneurs spend, spend a lot of time doing customer discovery to, to ensure a problem solution fit and then product market fit. Product market fit. That's beautiful. Hey, one of my friends wrote a book on that. It's brilliant about the innovators formula. Kind of like yours, not a blueprint like yours, but it was it was more of a in-depth thing. You had a good your book on innovation. What was the title of the last book, Jeff? The uh, innovators. The innovators. Uh, the innovators field guide. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that was really good. 
All right. Um, man, that's, that's good stuff. Okay, so a new person, you know, get the education, get started. Um, what about somebody who just is ready to, like, you know, bail, want to exit and, and sell? Is there any, any values we could help them out with? Yeah, you're talking about somebody that's at a point where they built something and they want to figure out yeah. how to exit. Yeah, this, this is the type of thing where it's always good to start with the end in mind. Yeah. So that when you get to that end point, it's not, you're not ready for it. So a, a, a good uh, bit of advice we give is always build a business like you might sell it someday, which means you've got to have good documentation and good process yeah. and you've got a good succession plan. And you, if as an entrepreneurial leader, you figured out how to work yourself out of your own job by having an echelon of folks that work for you that could run the business without you, you're going to be in a position to sell it when the time comes. Right. And so we, we try to, we would advise a lot of companies to say, if you're really thinking about an exit, this is all the stuff that you need to be prepared for. Yeah. Yeah. So that there's real value there and, and you've got something to sell when the time comes. A lot of solo entrepreneurs don't create a business. They create a job for themselves. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, like, and if they right. take, if they take three days of vacation, then there's three days of no income coming in. Right. And to, so to Jeff's point, you know, build build that sustainable, uh, uh, scalable model where you're not in the day to day details. You know, I yeah. believe it was uh, uh, Gerber, Michael Gerber, who said, you know, how much time do you spend working on your business versus working in your business? That's right. And, and we've kind of eat, we've eaten our own dog food on that deal. So, I mean, Jeff and I are, are the senior people in the organization, Jeff and I and, and Brett, who's our kind of X is our COO, CFO. If mm. the three of us weren't there, the, the, the organization would still run. Everybody here is empowered and self-propelled. They know exactly what they need to do. We're here to remove the obstacles and to maybe do some outward facing stuff, but the organization could continue without us. Every mm -hmm. business needs to, as an entrepreneurial leader, needs to set itself up to operate that way. Back to that, you mentioned that, you know, 34% of startups fail because they don't have the product market fit. And I read something uh, about a month ago that 90% of businesses who try to sell don't, they just close their doors. Mm -hmm. And it might be because of the things that they didn't set themselves up for properly. But a lot of it has to do with the fact that they're just too small to, to attract money. You well, know, hey, that, mom. That, yeah, you know, I've, I've seen numerous examples of where uh, somebody believes that they're going to, they don't have a retirement. They believe they're going to sell their business for $3 million and it's going to be their retirement. But when you pluck them out of it, it's not worth 300 grand. And so I sat here in this office. Uh, and, and I believe there's a huge opportunity with this uh, impending, you know, silver tsunami of 10,000 people a day turning 65, um, you know, that there are all of these small uh, family owned businesses that don't have a succession candidate. And I sat here with a, a, an HVAC guy who wanted to sell his company to two of his lieutenants. One had been there eight years, one had been there 13 years that already agreed on price that already agreed on terms, but his CPA wouldn't help him because he, he, felt very strongly that these guys ought to put some money in the game to start with, ought to have some skin in the game. And he said, they've got skin in the game. So we worked out again and I made it clear, I'm not an attorney, but let's talk about the business arrangements and then we'll put you in front of an, an attorney. And so we sat in this room and agreed that, you know, on day one, he would transfer uh, uh, the assets to them. Uh, he would own or finance. They would keep him on, on for a, uh, for a consulting period of five years because he was five years from wanting to retire. That way he could continue to, to see in the business, his time commitment would graduate downward at year two and at year three, four, and then five. And he would actually extract additional value because he would earn a five and a half percent interest rate on what he was owner financing. Yeah. So everybody wins. Okay. We package that up, take that to an attorney. And, and that's been two years ago, spoke with a guy the other day, everyone's happy. So there are going to be tremendous opportunities there 
uh, I believe, to pass along value like that to aspiring entrepreneurs. Um, my company is doing a book right now for um, a former CTO, Bank of America, and the book is called The $68 Trillion Tsunami, because that's the actual amount of wealth transfer. You know, the biggest wealth transfer in the history of the planet is going to happen in the next 10 years, right? So there's a lot of opportunity with guys and gals who are, you know, well, hey, well, well, let, let me give you let me give you some other stats why that's important to economic yeah. developers and to folks like mm -hmm. us is that if those companies are being passed down to a second generation owner, 72, 73% yeah. of them will fail. If they're being passed down to a third generation owner, inclusive of 80% uh, of them will fail. So, so you think about the number of jobs, 99% of all employers and 50% of all employees in the United States are in businesses, just like you talked about. So imagine if 75 plus percent of those businesses transfer and ultimately fail, how many jobs are going to be lost? That is a significant economic and entrepreneurial development issue for our country. Dramatic pause. <laughs> I was really happy until that moment. Now I'm really depressed. Oh my God. Well, all the money's away. All the jobs are going away. I'm gonna have to get that place up in Maine here's, and, and we'll live off the land. Here's here's the other, maybe a, a little bit more positive way to think about right. it. it just So as you think about it in terms of economic development strategy, Kauffman Foundation, which is the think tank on all things entrepreneurial based in Kansas City, has said in the past that 85% of all net new jobs come from startups and small business. Okay, so that's kind of point one. Uh, point two is if you can get them to a five-year survival rate, then they're going to add even more high wage rate jobs. So where we fit many times is in that zero to five years of of life and we try to remove those failure points so that the success is greater and so that they're going to add more jobs now here's the other thing economic development has historically been a win-lose scenario where you're trying to attract in large companies from elsewhere oh, into yeah. a new area that's yeah. like trying to buy a winning lottery ticket because you're competing against everybody else and the odds are really kind of low that you're going to attract somebody in it's important but it can't be the only strategy if you build stuff local and organic it's going to stick that is using the, the the movie analogy. That's the money ball play. That's the yeah. increased on base percentage that's ultimately going to allow your area to win. And that's why we thought. I mean, if you were to think of one thing that's catalytic for why we needed to do this book, it's that reason. This is an economic development, economic empowerment strategy yeah. that can change the game for a small area. One, one more important thing is, until just very recently, urbanization is drawing the young talent out of these smaller areas into major metros. They've got to have a reason to stay, which means you need to build businesses locally that make it an attractive place to stay. And what we talk about in creating startup junkies is part of the formula for getting that done. Ultimately, All it's right. a good economic development strategy. Hold that book up again. I want to see that book again. Folks, if you're watching this, thing, this, this book could save our country for God's sakes. You need to buy 10 copies and give uh, a bunch to your chamber of commerce, your other friends and people in the business. They can get the word out. The best right. 180 pages your your mayor or your chamber of commerce or your uni local university will read. Right. What is and the uh, what is the plan to get it into the government or the business development levels? Well, we have uh, our forward was written by Congressman French Hill, uh, who is our second di uh, congressional district congressman here in, in uh, Arkansas, uh, obviously in D.C. Uh, he is an entrepreneur himself, uh, a financier and entrepreneur, uh, has started and, and exited uh, a bank. 
And um, uh, he's, you know, we have other connections because of the relationships we have with funding organizations. And so we're going to be putting it in the hands of key people around the country, uh, particularly in the heartland uh, that we think uh, need to need to read it and, and, and need to use the information and the tools that are provided. We also have it available on Kindle right now at a very promotional price. So if they want to go to Amazon and search it on Kindle, uh, we'll be doing a book signing today virtually at, at 1 p.m. Central, and they can go to creatingstartupjunkies.com, creatingstartupjunkies.com, and can uh, register for that. There's also a link directly to the book purchase page on, on Amazon as well. So uh, we'd love to connect with them. And we'll be offering a number of uh, signs. Creatingstartupjunkies.com. At the virtual book signing, we'll be offering a number of free signed copies uh, to, to a limited number of people uh, that are on the, the virtual book signing. So, Great. Get this book, guys, um, if, if not for yourself, for somebody else, because obviously it can make a huge difference in our world and your business and your life. So uh, obviously, I admit, it totally makes sense on the government uh, business development level. On individual levels, there's good stuff in there for an individual entrepreneur to do a better job or connect with people like you, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, as Jeff said, both and, right? The, the primary target audience are, are those that, that have the opportunity or the want to, to create mm -hmm. a, a, an entrepreneurial culture in their respective communities, uh, a guidebook to do that. And many times we find that it is uh, existing entrepreneurs or serial entrepreneurs that, that have uh, a vested interest in doing that and want to do that. Many times Perfect. it's chambers, economic yeah. developers, mayor staff, yeah. what have you, but uh, it's those entrepreneurs as well. And, and Doug, to be real clear, you know, to use a, a, a biological reference, the keystone species in the story are the entrepreneurs. Sorry. Nothing good happens without them. They are the keystone species. Mm -hmm. and, and so they need to be part of that coalition of the willing. They kind of need to be out front. You really can't autocratically mandate that thou shalt have entrepreneurship you got to have the entrepreneurs in the mix because ultimately they're the ones that have to do the hard work to create the businesses that are going to survive and thrive. And, and we both come from that entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial. We understand the need for the creative spark. The idea is to wrap that fabric of the community and infrastructure around them so that they have a greater chance of being successful. Crops don't grow without sunshine and water and good soil. And that's what you guys are creating for the entrepreneur here, obviously. So, man, exactly. I, I love you. Well, we're, yeah. we're excited about it. We look forward to connecting with, with people uh, of like minds uh, who, are, who are interested in creating startup junkies. Okay. Creatingstartupjunkies.com. You guys, I spelled it right. Good. Get this book. Share it with your friends. Share it with your chamber of commerce. And uh, book signing today at 1 o'clock. If you're watching this on a recording, book signing's over. The website will still be up, I'm sure. Get the Absolutely. book. Absolutely. And uh, it was great having you guys on. Thank you so much. Doug, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate, you. Appreciate it. You bet. You bet.